Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. I'm really happy to be here tonight. For the last couple of weeks, we've had all, all men on our program, and someone emailed me and said, uh, what is it, that I don't like women? Well, quite on the contrary. But tonight, um, I have what, what I think is one of the more extraordinary women that uh, have been introduced to me. The nice thing about this uh, job is that I get to meet a lot of interesting people. And certainly Jennifer Love uh, ranks in that uh, category. Uh, she's CEO of Nibmore, a multi-million dollar wholesale <coughs> chocolate company based in New York. And she came up with, to me, a very interesting topic, falling in love with a, con- a consumer. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me tonight, Sean. Well, uh before, uh, we always ask our guests, before we talk about anything else, to tell us a little bit about yourself personally so our audience could get a kind of a feel of who and what you are. Yeah, sure. So I am located in Long Island, New York. I've been living here for about six years. And I'm originally from California, so I'm a California girl gone New York. Went beach to beach, actually. And... You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so entrepreneurship is something that has been in my blood. My father was also an entrepreneur, and I grew up, you know, kind of watching him um, go through it. Um, He was an unsuccessful entrepreneur, actually. And, you know, most entrepreneurs, Don, in my experience, have many failures, many more failures than they have successes. You know, you look at the likes of Thomas Jefferson or Ben Franklin, and, you know, most people would say that they're a success, but if you would if you would actually add up their successes and compare that to their failures, their failures would be much greater. Um, but they don't look at it that way, and I think that's what's beautiful about entrepreneurs. And I actually say, you know, you'll you'll hear me on Twitter or you know on Facebook where I, when I'm speaking at a live conference say that I love entrepreneurs because I do. I I've loved entrepreneurs for years. I've been helping them for years. I started out as a business consultant, um, and I was a business consultant for about 10 years, and I've moved along, and now I'm running uh, Nip More Chocolate with my business partner, Heather. And I've circled back around, and I'm now you know, helping CPG, consumer packaged good uh, companies, you know, get a good start, get a good healthy start through my website, jenniferlove.com. So I'm a business person through and through. I love strategy, but it's not a coincidence 
Don, that I ended up in the food business because I had an eating disorder for 10 years that I struggled through and I had to get through it and I had to create a new relationship with food. And so throwing myself into what I love and know the best, which is business and using tactics and strategy, you know, on how to overcome something like an eating disorder was something that I, I did. And I just want to encourage anyone who's out there in the world because we live in a world who's sick, we live in a world who's getting fat, and we live in a world where, you know, eating disorders are prevalent and becoming more prevalent. I just want to encourage you that, you know, wherever you are, wherever you're doing, that you can get through it and that you can build a life and a business that you love. And I, I want to let everyone know that I'm here to help them tonight. Well, that, uh, that's great. and You're obviously um, a great uh, role model, uh, but your company is in chocolate, if I remember. Uh, that's correct. right. Yes, Nidmore uh-huh. is chocolate. So we have um, amazing organic dark chocolates, and we have a line of chocolate bars. We have bite-sized chocolates, and then single-serve packets of drinking chocolate, which is in a powder form that you can add to milk of your choice. It's delicious. It's, it's one of the best chocolates out there. We've won lots of awards for it. We're a, we're a national company. We're sold all over the U.S., and uh, it, it's good stuff. You can find it in your local grocery store, I'm sure. Are you, are you going to the fancy food show in July? We are, yes. Oh. We'll be there. I just we'll got approved as a... I just got approved as a press for that show, which is one of the hardest shows to get uh, credentials to. So I'll definitely stop by your booth. Please do. Uh, it would be great. Uh, uh, for our audience, the Fancy Food Show is held uh, in the summer in New York and, and in the, uh, J- January in San Francisco. And it's uh, four f- floors of uh, food delights that if you have an eating disorder, I guarantee you, you'll be cured. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough place. <laughs> but it's, it's not, I don't, I don't believe the fancy food show is open to the public. I think it's for, um, for the trade, is my understanding. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's yeah. true. Uh, and thank you for reminding me. Um, uh, you can, in New York, you can buy a, a, a day pass, however, or the, they used to be able to do it, but the, um, let's go on to a more important subject, which is sure. um, making your your uh, consumer love you. I love that title. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you um, something. Uh, uh, if you listen to my program, uh, people will say, "Gee, he's really taken in by uh, good uh, headlines." And but that was a, to me a great one. Can you talk about that and what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really important to get really intimate with your consumer or customer or client, you know, however you want to call that particular person, the person who's purchasing from you. And and what I mean by intimate is really understanding them, creating a relationship with that with that individual. And how you do that is through really understanding who they are and giving them maybe a name, giving them a face, and really understanding who wants your product. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate this through Nidmore and what we've done at Nidmore. So, you know, who is it that really buys chocolate? Well, we did the research on that. 91% of women purchase chocolate and consume chocolate. They like it, whether it's dark chocolate or whether it's milk chocolate. 91% of women consume chocolate. Now, who goes into the grocery store and purchases? Who's the shopper? of the shoppers in the grocery store are women. So what does that tell me as as an entrepreneur with a chocolate company? Well, if 91% of 
consumers are women that are consuming my product, and 80% are the shoppers that are going in to actually make the purchase themselves is a female, well, guess who my consumer is? My consumer is the female. Well, then I want to take it a step further, and I want to understand who is she? You know, what age rank is she? You know, is she... 25, is she 55? It can't be 25 and 55 and everything in between because that's a census box, not a consumer. And so we've really narrowed this down and understood who she is. We've given her a name. Her name is Lucy. We've given her an age. She's 36. She's married. She has two children. And what does that information do for us? That information tells us how to talk to her. Because if she's a married woman who ha- who's working, and has two kids, this woman is busy. <laughs> she doesn't have a lot of time for herself. And she doesn't have a lot of time to do a lot of anything in her life except, you know, run from work to home to kids and getting kids to, you know, wherever they're going for, you know, practice or sports or what, whatever it might be. And also being, being a good wife and then having some kind of a social life. So, you know, understanding this kind of information allows me as a manufacturer, as a brand, to know how to even put my product together. I know that Lucy is really busy. So what do I want to do? And what do I, how do I understand what's important to her? Well, number one, I want to ask her. So you, we, we you know, actually got a focus group together of little Lucy's and sat them down and asked them, what do you want from a chocolate company like Nibmore? How can we serve you? What can we do to deliver and make your life easier? What are, what are flavors that you really like? You know, what's the packaging? What colors do you like? How do you want to see it on the shelf? So all of these kinds of questions come directly from her because we're asking her. We're getting that intimate with her. And when we do that, when we really understand who our consumer is and really exactly what she wants, we can then give it to her. So Nibmore is really focused on moderation and focused on easy on the go because Lucy's busy and she's always on the go. So we've got our little bite-sized daily dose of dark that she could easily stick in her purse and take with her. She loves to indulge. In fact, because she's so busy, the research is showing that she is actually snacking more and more and eating fewer regular meals. So she, because of this, she wants, to eat, she wants to snack on healthier, better-for-you foods. And chocolate's a part of that because indulgences are a big part of any woman's snacking experience. And so understanding the research, understanding what she wants, is one of the best ways to deliver it to her. So again, the daily dose of dark, she can stick it right into her purse. And then as a result of us really helping her by making her life easier, putting it into packaging or giving her the flavors that she wants or making it really desirable you know, visually through the brand or through the color, she falls in love with us because we're listening to her. And so that is really what I mean by getting intimate with your consumer. Well, what a great explanation. I wish I had learned that earlier in life. Um, but let's go, a step, let's go a step further now. You understand what she needs, and you understand how you do it, but how do you create the packaging, or what are the other steps you have to do, for instance, with your chocolate? Uh, Is the color important? Are uh, 
the size or the, the shape of the package? Absolutely. The color does become important. In fact, when we sat you know, our little group of Lucy's down through our focus groups, one of the things that came up about our previous packaging was that it made too much noise. And when Lucy likes to indulge, she sometimes likes to do it in private. And that means she doesn't want people to be able to hear that she is eating her little bit of chocolate. So because our packaging was kind of loud, yeah, she might be a little hesitant to purchase it because of that. So what do we do? We make packaging that is not so loud. I mean, it seems like something so basic and so simple and, you know, almost elementary, but it's really important to her. And so just by simply sitting her down and asking her, like, the, the key things about consuming, how she consumes, when does she consume, what time of day, uh, you know, what's in, what is important about the packaging, you know, what, all these kinds of questions are really important to ask her. And then part of the follow-up is continuing to stay in conversation with her over time. So it's not like you just sit down once and you know, have this conversation and then that's it. No, you've got to have an ongoing relationship with her, constantly be in communication, whether that's through social media, which social media today, we are really blessed and we have a really easy opportunity to, to get you know, consumer feedback very quickly. So if you go on to like, you know, Facebook for Nibmore, You'll, you'll see that we talk directly to her, and then we'll run contests where we're asking her for information. That's a really easy and expensive way to get information um, from your consumer. Uh, or, you know, going in, you know, you said that your wife is uh, a Harvard grad. You know, going to a university like Harvard or, or Columbia and sitting down with, you know, MBA grads and talking to them. Uh, again, really inexpensive way to get, you know, information that you're looking for. So the steps are really sitting down and understanding. You start with the research because people are like, yeah, yeah, but how do you even first know who your consumer is? Start with the research. You know, who is consuming whatever kind of service or product that you're selling? And there's tons of research out there. I guarantee you can find it. Start there and then work your way backwards. Well, it's interesting. Um, I've just seen a recent study that hasn't been published yet that said that a majority of small business uh, business started in, in the 18 months uh, from mid-2012 uh, uh, to the end of 2013, uh, uh, more than 50% did not have, uh, did not, had not done research before starting their company, nor they had an idea and then try to find the market rather than find the market and, and deal with the idea or product, which I found fascinating. That is fascinating, and it's a big mistake um, because that's something, you know, when you don't have the information or you don't know if your product is really serving, you know, a need or it's filling a void or it's, you know, it's something unique and different in the world, uh, you know, how do you know you're even going to have the business that you want? You're not. You don't. Well, so research uh, research if, up front is really important. What what problems have have or obstacles have you found in in in, in the time you've built your business or businesses that uh, you you think uh, our audience might want to know about? You know, I think one of the the biggest things that I would offer up um, from my own personal experience is really grow strategically. You know, we all think that 
all growth is good and that the more the better and the faster and the quicker the better. But that's not necessarily the truth uh, because, you know, if you grow too fast, you can put yourself out of business. There came a point early on with Nibmore. We're, we're almost five years in, so we launched Nibmore in July of 2009. So July of this year will be five years we've been in business. And about, about a year and a half into our business, I had to stop bringing in new sales so that we could just manage the existing accounts that we had. That was so frustrating for me, Don. I can't even explain how frustrating that was because I love sales. I'm like, I'm like always, you know, I'm like, I'm, sales to me is relationship building, and I love people. I love entrepreneurs. I love my buyers, and I want to be out there, you know, helping them because I see sales as an opportunity to help people, not to just sell something because I want some money. For me, sales is relationships. How can I help you? And my product is going to make your life better and easier because I'm going to make your world a better place. So, you know, for me to stop having to do that is so. Is, I'm like a revved up engine, you know, with my foot on the brake, but I want to. I want to release it and I want to go. So, it, it would have been a mistake had we not stopped bringing on new accounts because we wouldn't have been able to fulfill the orders. If we couldn't have fulfilled the current, the existing accounts that we had and managed that, they would have gotten upset, and we would have lost that business. We would have gone out of business before we really were even, you know, given a chance to be successful in business. So, my advice to all the entrepreneurs listening is to really manage your business and your sales strategically. You know, again, don't go after. Everyone, don't go after everything. Focus in on a couple of sales channels. One or two is like what I like to tell you know new entrepreneurs. Focus on one or two sales channels. Get really specific about who your consumer is and go after that and then manage that growth very, very methodically. If you have all of the money in the world and all of the staff and all of the resources available to you, well, then you know more power to you. But most entrepreneurs don't have that. So we've got to be really methodical and really strategic about how we grow. I'm curious. How did you come to that re- uh, realization that you were growing too fast? Did, 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 you, uh, did you identify it? Did yeah, we did. Identify- yeah, I, I sat there. Well, because, you know, I'm, I'm managing with a, a financial plan, a financial model. And, you know, I have a sales pipeline. So I'm, you know, I would, I look at that every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every year, and I'm, you know, analyzing that information. And I'm also, you know, in charge of our, our, you know, business finances. So I know what, you know, is going out the door with cash flow, right? And, and so it's, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's just being really clear about where you are in your business and managing your finances carefully, and then looking at what you have in your pipeline and what you have to fulfill. And if those two things aren't going to match up with your cash flow, well, then you've got to slow things down a little bit so that you don't put yourself out of business. Uh, uh, the, the chocolate business has always fascinated me. but I, And it really shocked me to find out that Godiva is owned by Campbell's Soup. Yes. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, consolidation going on in the chocolate industry. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you could see that at the fancy food show. Last year, there were or there were less of them than than um, the previous years. 
according to what uh, uh, when I talked to some of the some of the uh, staff there. Yeah, well, sure. Like Hershey, Hershey bought uh, Dagoba and Scharfenberger mm. several years ago as well. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the one that's always fascinating me. I just ask if you is uh, Nutella. Yeah, Nutella. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it started out as a, a kind of a, a upscale item when it first came to this country, and now it's a pretty common thing. Should they have stayed as a upscale product? Hmm. That's a great question up for debate, I'm sure. My own personal opinion? Hmm. No, not necessarily. I'd say no. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's go on to your other company, which is yeah. also fascinating. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So jenniferlove.com is my website that is meant it's meant to be a community to provide a lot of free information for entrepreneurs that have product companies that are, you know, new to the business and need the information that keeps them up at night, that you lose sleep over, that you just wish there was an easy place to go get the information that you need because you just don't know the answer to, you know, how to hire a broker or, you know, when to hire a sales team or how do you how do you manage your sales team or you know, how do you get free PR? Uh, you know, how do you understand who your consumer is? All these questions that, you know, we're all struggling with and there's just no real easy one place to get it at. Um, JenniferLove.com is meant to help you with that. And so it's, uh, it's kind of me circling back to my consulting days, you know, where I really do love entrepreneurs and I just want to help people. And then there will be some training offered through the website throughout the year where for a few hundred dollars people can pay to understand how to really grow their sales. They'll be focusing on sales training uh, through it. But if they sign up, then they'll get free weekly videos and information tips um, delivered to their inbox, and uh, it's a lot of really valuable information for them. Hmm. Uh, Did you generate all the material, or do you get contributors? No, it's all directly from me. (laughs) It's all all coming straight from me. Yeah, no, I I don't have any contributors on the website. It's all information that is a culmination of my years of experience. That said, I do in my interviews interview a lot of experts. Uh, So I, you know, interview like, uh, Julie Catino, who was the VP of brand for Virgin, uh, and she actually helped Virgin become what Virgin is today. I interview uh, Susan Solovic, who is the small business expert, and she was ABC um, small business contributor for years. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm sitting down with some really interesting and insightful people who have a lot of valuable information on a very specific topic, and I ask them specific questions, and then I, you know, with them I share to the entrepreneurs that are watching, you know, really good information. Um, and all of that's free. All of that's free information. Yep. Well, uh, the question always is, how do you make your money? <laughs> yes. Well, the money is through the training programs that I'll have, um, you know, a few times a year. So, you know, people can choose to opt into, you know, the training, uh, webinar-style training. I do have a live workshop once a year. I had my last live workshop back in December, 
so if people wanted to participate in uh, the live workshop, they're more than welcome to come join that as well. So that that's how I'm generating revenue. And then I, I'm always open to speaking opportunities uh, and you know content contribution to to major major sites. Well, you certainly contributed to to our program tonight. I'm enjoying this thoroughly. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, uh, having in my lifetime done one or two simultaneously, doesn't it take a lot of energy and time? <laughs> yes, Don. I'm laughing because it does take a lot of time. Uh, yes, I am not married, and <laughs> I don't have children. I have a dog, and uh, you know, my a lot of nights and weekends are consumed by what I do, um, and that's okay for me right now. It won't be forever, but it's okay for me right now. Well, um, you know, it's interesting you mention a dog. Um, uh, one of the biggest startup sectors last year were people uh, providing um, products and services for, for pets. Yeah, that's, that's become surprising. a huge, that's become a huge industry. Actually, I make Maggie's food for her. I do it on the weekend. I make all her food for the week. But the the pet food industry and the pet food, you know, or the pet industry in general has exploded, especially on the natural side. Um, yes. Anything in natural, organic, anything to do with dog care, doggy daycares, doggy day spas, you know, all of that has really taken off for sure. And it's going to continue to, I believe, for a while. What do you think are the major obstacles to people, uh, not so much starting up, but when they reach the third or fourth year? You're into your fourth. If you reach five years, it's generally conceded your company will 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 succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are the what do you think are the problems for a company in their second and third years? Uh, that was a question sent over. Um, via uh, email as, as we're talking? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would, I would say one of, the biggest, one of the biggest challenges is figuring out how to scale your business. Uh, so, you know, Nibmore, for example, started out as two chicks in a kitchen making chocolate. In, in Long Island City, it was a commercial kitchen. So Heather and I, you know, we were making the chocolate ourselves, and we had to figure out how to go from, you know, a, a couple, like let's say 20 stores in the you know New York region to a national company where we're in over 4000 stores you know that's that's no small feat uh so it's for us it was really figuring out how to scale the business and again that goes back to the cash flow and the the managed and strategic growth of the business how do you divide up your partnership uh between mm. you and Heather yeah, that's a that's another great question. I think it is important to have very specific roles as business partners, and I'll get into the reason why in a minute. But to answer your question, I am in charge of all of our sales and our finance and our business, and Heather manages our operations and product development. And why do I think that's really important to have specific roles? Because for two reasons. One, you know, it creates a level of accountability, and you're not over. You know, you're not doing someone else's job. Like, you know, Heather's going and doing product development. I'm at the same time doing product development, and you know, we're just wasting time. Um, because if I'm really focused on sales and she's focused on product development and operations and making the chocolate happen, 
you know, then it, it allows us to really focus in, and it also creates a level of accountability. But secondly, and I think this is all, also really important with the dynamics of the relationship in business, is allowing someone to really shine and, and giving them the opportunity to really stand in their own light and succeed and say, yeah, I, took, I can take ownership of that. I did that. Or, yeah, I really screwed that up. I'm going to go fix it now. So I, I think it's really important to have specific roles um, in your business. But that's, that's what Heather and I do. That's how we're handling it. Well, obviously you've grown um, uh, over, over the years. And you, uh, I'll ask one last question. Sure. Uh, what do you look for in an employee as you grow as a small business? Uh, yeah. I think the, the most important thing is, is passion um, and excitement and enthusiasm. And I would say secondly is honesty. Yeah, yeah, I, can, I can deal with most things, but I can't deal with a dishonest person. I can deal with mistakes. In fact, I'm okay with mistakes. Mistakes are part of you know, living. It's part of doing business. But I expect our employees to own them and then fix it. Go fix it. Okay, you fixed it? Great. What did you learn? Move on. Let's move on. Uh, and like, let's, you know, let's work to not make that mistake again, but as long as we're learning along the way, fantastic. And then I would also say you know, really being a team player. If you are the kind of a person who is like, no, that's not my job, you're not going to fit into Nipmore. Because we all pitch in to help each other, you know, if we're overwhelmed or, you know, something's happening and, and we need extra help, you've got to be a team player. So I would say, you know, passionate, committed, honest, and a team player, really important. Well, that segues into our next guest. But before, uh, and I'm wondering if you had the time to, sit, to listen in and perhaps uh, chime in, because she's going to talk about a, a subject that uh, – um, how do you deal with an employee who's depressed? Mm. Because, uh, um, and uh, uh, if you wanted to, to, you can uh, stay on. If not, if, uh, I know you're a busy woman. But first, tell us um, uh, where people, uh, it's jenniferlove.com. That's the easiest uh, <laughs> um, website I have um, had on this program in six months. And uh, the, <laughs> And um, mid, midmore.com, how do you spell Nipmore. it? Midmore. So it's N as in Nancy, I, B as in boy, M as in Mary, O, R as in Ro- uh, Robert.com. So nibmore, like short for nibblemore, ah. and .com. Yep. Uh, that, that was my next question. How did you come up with the, yep, with yep. the name? So, so nib, the nib is actually the seed of the cocoa bean, and it's what makes chocolate chocolate. And then our, 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 you know, our entire conversation around moderation, um, we're referring to nibbling, so little bites. So it's kind of a two, it's a double-sided um, meaning, really, for Nipmore. Well, uh, it's certainly been an enjoyable time with, with you, Jennifer. And, Thank you so much uh, for having you, me. And uh, uh, I hope you'll come back again sometime, and I'll definitely see you at the Fancy Food Show. You got it, Don. Have a great evening. You, you too. Bye-bye. Take care. Our next guest is Kelly Walsh. She's a 20-year HR executive and now heads uh, OneSmartCareer.com. Uh, Kelly, welcome to the program. 
Thank you, Don. It's great to be here. Well, I know you came on short notice, and I'm very glad <laughs> that you did. Oh, thank um, you for having me anyway. Um, uh, we always ask our guests first to say, tell us a little bit about themselves personally before we um, uh, go on. And I see Jennifer still stayed on, which I'm happy she did. Great. So, um, Kelly, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Don, I'm a 20-year human resources veteran, as you mentioned. I have a master's in uh, education and counseling. I'm a certified leadership coach and mediator, and I've been coaching uh, with, uh, for seven years. And in late 2012, I started One Smart Life, creating a new type of coaching, personal coaching with a team of experts. And then after that, I reignited my love for working with businesses and leaders and started a companion business called One Smart Career, where we focus on executive coaching, consulting, and speaking. So I love walking the tightrope between employees and employers on complex issues in the workplace to help everyone reach a better understanding of the other's concerns. Well, um, you, you bring it up in coaching, and uh, I'm going to take a moment to mention a man who's just left us, uh, Bob oh. Lee, who is uh, founder, one of the founders of Lee Heck Harris and one of the right. uh, top coaches, uh, career coaches in the country, and I counted him a, a longtime friend. And it's always nice to... Uh, um, uh, remember the the good things about people and he was one of the good people so um sorry to interrupt your thing but uh, it was an appropriate moment yes it is Did no you problem. Know him? i i know of him i don't know him okay well now let's go on to you and the living and uh, <laughs> uh what i liked about it is you talked about it's time to health awareness month in the workforce and uh, i think it's a great subject having um in my own experience, and not realizing, worked with someone for five years without realizing she she went through periods of depression and mm-hmm. uh, uh, made adjustments, et cetera. Uh, uh, probably made the wrong adjustments, but uh, tell us a little bit about this in, in your own words, and the floor is yours. Okay. Well, one of the biggest issues facing business owners in general is how to make their human resources most effective. And all organizations go through similar types of problems at one point or another. Um, And small businesses, I think, feel the impact of absenteeism or employee illness more acutely. So one of the things I've noticed over the years that I've worked in human resources is how there's been a shift from the biggest problem used to be back injuries and back problems and back pain. And it shifted in about the year 2000 from that to depression and depression-related type mental illness. And some of the biggest expenses that employers and, and benefit companies were seeing were the expenses being paid out on antidepressant and other psychiatric drugs. And it turns out that the, the um, stats show that what, roughly 1 in 10% of U.S. adult populations suffers from a depressive disorder in a given year. So this just you know, give, gave me pause to really think about how is that impacting employers, employees, and what I feel is 
kind of a gap is getting employees back to work after a mental health setback because it's often not done as smoothly as people who have a physical setback. Okay. Um, but uh, let me just ask a question. Um, and I saw those statistics uh, myself a couple of years ago and just wondered. Um, sometimes the back pain, I always thought was, when I heard it, was sometimes psychosomatic and indicative of something else. Um, uh, I, I know. Would you like to comment on that or just pass on it? Well, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. So I'm not really sure. I think we were we were shifting from more of a manufacturing culture to more of an information culture and a services culture. So I think some of the man, some of the back pain came from more a different type of labor. Right. Okay. So let, let's go on. Uh, how do you identify a person with a, a depression? Uh, and that, that's the first step. And then how do you deal with it? Uh, so it's good for them and good for the company. Well, you can't necessarily identify someone who has a depression, you know, from the outside. If you're the supervisor or a coworker, you know, there might be symptoms that you might see. They might be more sad. They might be more teary. They might have be sleepy, you know, require more sleep, things like that. Um, but, uh, since it's a treatable condition, there could be people who are receiving treatment. And depression has uh, levels of severity. So you may or may not see it from the outside, and some people are able to push through it and work depending on the, what they're going through. There's also related depressive orders, such as bipolar disorder and anxiety. So it isn't always visible to the outside person. What is What the thing that a coworker or a supervisor needs to be concerned about is, is their work getting done? How is their work getting done? And that's the thing that they need to focus on more than the physical um, or mental capabilities, I think, um, because that gets a little, that starts crossing the line into their privacy a little bit. So if an employee isn't delivering and seems sluggish or isn't making it through the day or something, that's when I conversation can be initiated such as you know is everything okay I've noticed that you know you're you're behind on a couple of projects or you know they can co make comments based on their work product that's the best okay. way to get the conversation going um, and, and then sometimes uh, an episode happens which um, uh, uh, manifests itself and a person is off uh, for a time, and, and uh, are you then saying that uh, there are things you can do when that person returns? Is that where we're going with this? Well, one of the things that I've noticed during my years of work in HR is that we know what to do with a person with a physical illness. So for kind of a plain example, let's say uh, I have somebody who works on the manufacturing floor and they've broken their leg. Well, they can't come back and do the physical climbing that they used to do, so I can put them on a desk for a while. And that's a real simple fix. So they're, not, they're healing, but they're not quite back to all of the duties they did before, so I give them modified duty and put them where they're doing some paperwork, say. So that's kind of an easy fix. 
what happens with mental issues and with depression is that there's not always, you know, there's not always a halfway way to come back to work. So people are home. People are feeling bad, poorly. They're maybe treating with a doctor. And we just don't have a way to get people back to work as well. There tends to be policies in companies that say for mental and physical, uh, you know, illnesses, but I find that they're not as employed. Uh, the, the policies aren't used as much for mental illnesses, and I think people are afraid to use them. They're afraid to ask about them. There's a little more stigma around mental illness, so people are afraid to use them. So I think there's some steps that can be used to to enter the conversation with someone who's had a mental setback and try to get them to come back to work, maybe on a light-duty capacity. But I think that's a collaborative thing between that employee and the supervisor and maybe their HR rep. But I think there's some concerns sometimes that makes them, you know, it sort of impedes the conversation. So I have some tips around how you might go about doing that. Well, uh, in many small businesses, they don't have the luxury of a full-time HR person or any right. of those things. Um, wh- what do you suggest for, for small businesses? What should they be doing? Well, and that's a great point. And small businesses where this is really touchy because if you know, you're know you a small business with 10 people and one person is out, that's when it's really hard to provide coverage as well. So, um, But I think knowing the the, the prevalence of depression or mental health setbacks that people have, it's, it's great to have a strategy for getting people like that back to work so that, that, it, so that you don't have as much downtime, don't have as much absenteeism, and can really get people um, back, in the, back in the saddle and doing their work. It's better for them. It's better for your business. So people, yes, they don't have an HR rep maybe, but it's good for them to know two things or several things. One is the Family Medical Leave Act. It may not apply to smaller employers. It depends. I think it's 50 people. If they're less than 50 people, they may not need to to adhere to that. So, but do they want to give somebody a little bit of leave and a little bit of leeway to work on that issue? Can they bring them back on a on a flexible or a part-time arrangement? Um, in that case, I would say have the employee have their doctor review their work duties and a job description, and even if they don't have a formal job description, create something that writes down their main duties and have the doctor recommend any limitations or temporary changes. So if you can get them back part of the time, chances are better that you're going to get them back full time. Discussing the plan with the employee, bearing in mind that this is about good people management and communication around work items and what they feel they can do rather than a discussion about their personal health issues. We're kind of just trying to focus on what can they do, how can they come back, and then discuss how you can be flexible with their work. And sometimes this can feel like kind of an inconvenience to a small business. Um, But there are ways maybe to get a temporary worker and for a little while to assist, things like that. Um, Not doing that really can devastate a person or devastate relationships you know, if people feel like they would never be supported by disclosing something. So it's, it's worth trying to, trying to do. Um, letting, know, letting the employee – go ahead. 
No, you, uh, you're the guest. Please continue. <laughs> Letting um, another thing that can be helpful is to let the have a have that conversation, have an open conversation, and letting the employee know that they they play a role in their own success, and that you as you know their their business leader are available for them to talk to about adjustments. So maybe I thought I could come back for six hours a day, and maybe I'm finding that's a little too much, and I I need to do five or four. You know, let's keep that open communication until let me try four hours this week, and next week I'll try five hours. And so if we can have that conversation, uh, and I know that that's open, that's going to be a little more comfortable. And supervisors also, or business owners, should be aware of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Because sometimes a person just needs a slight accommodation to make their work a little bit better. You know, it can be a small fix. Maybe um, if I can do this certain reporting from home, because when I do it here, it's, there's too many competing priorities and it stresses me out. So could I do this in this other location? Could I go in that quiet room to do this? Well, maybe that would work. So if there's a small accommodation that could be used that could reduce stress, that might be okay. So there's sometimes things that can be done that are really small adjustments that could make everything work for others. Well, sometimes uh, uh, some business owners think it would be much easier just to cut the employee loose. Are there any legal ramifications to that? Well, the problem with that, and, and is it easier Perhaps the problem with that is it could be considered discriminatory. So if someone says, I was fired because I disclosed a mental illness and then I was fired, that could be a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of one of those claims. So, you know, you have to decide the kind of employer you want to be. Do you want to be that employer, or do you want to be an employer who tries to get folks, you know, back to work on a light duty basis and become and help them become productive and engaged and then be very loyal to you in the long run. Um, there's costs in the short run and then hopefully gains in the long run if you can do that. But yeah, you, you do have the option of terminating people, but you know, it's it it really kinda goes to your values as a business owner. And if you can give somebody some time to recover from a setback, that might be a better way to go, particularly since it will impact a lot of people over time. So you're bound to run into this as a business owner. Well, let me ask you, um, then there's the other side of the equation, the the co-workers. um, uh, They discover that someone is mentally ill, regardless, uh, you know, uh, uh, depression is, is mental illness, and people don't look much beyond that, uh, and they become wary. We have a situation at a local post office here where, um, uh, you know the expression, going postal, but they yeah. have a, a, a woman who came back from a, a mental thing, and the uh, according to, uh, to the people I've talked to, there's a, a real schism within the uh, within that post office uh, about the about their wariness of this uh, uh, woman employee, and, and uh, 
in the in the case here is uh, she's taken advantage of the uh, her illness to to be quite frankly a disruptive force. Um, I, I know that I, I'll ask the base question, which is uh, uh, how do you educate your your other staff members to help you handle the situation? Okay, um, that's a great question, and it's it's a very real concern. I think in terms of educating the other employees, I think you have to create a culture as an owner or a supervisor. You need to create a culture of how you're going to deal with each other on health issues in general. And I think giving people more privacy around them is the better way to go. So, you know, we talk about each other's health issues. Oh, so-and-so had a kidney stone and -and so-and-so had this and -and so-and-so had that. Those are private issues, and I think if you can create a culture where we tend to be less sharing about the details of our medical issues, the better. Because if then all of a sudden, well, someone has a medical issue and we aren't explaining it, that leaves a lot of room for assumption. So I think starting to trend toward more privacy is better. If it becomes aware or someone explains to people that they are having a mental health issue, I think the owner or supervisor has to be vigilant that this doesn't get too negative um, because of the fear surrounding things we don't understand, like, like mental health concerns. However, with that said, so you don't want just unnecessary negativity or backlash or, you know, slurs such as crazy or anything like that, that th- those words to be used. However, if there are legitimate concerns for people's safety, they need to be able to feel like they can go explain that to whoever is in charge. And if that is the case, they also need to be able to document that in terms of behaviors, not, you know, I don't like the way she looked at me or she acted or that it has to be kind of more specific. She um, said this to me with a angry tone when I did this or that. And that has to become kind of documentable. No, nobody wants to be in an unsafe work environment and no one wants to be subjected to that because that's not right either. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. You have to be careful of it. But we don't want people um, being dismissed or being I, – I think re, it's much more seldom to have people – uh, really ready to blow up than people who are just having kind of what I would consider more minor setbacks that are controllable with medication and um, some therapy. But if that is the case, then a, then a owner and a, a boss need to be really vigilant that that no one is in danger. So um, well, I think let's talk staying, about a, staying on top well, of that is important. Absolutely. Um, but now let's talk about uh, what you're doing now you're doing this, that's why we invited on the program, but you're also doing some other interesting things. So let's talk about those. Um, um, You're helping senior-level executives. Um, uh, You want to talk about that? The floor is yours. Uh, Sure. Oh, thanks. Well, yeah, absolutely. I uh, I work with executives and people who want to, I work with people who either are in a leadership role and just want to get more out of it, want to reach higher and do more in their role. I work with people who are uh, 
promoted and want to make sure that they're really successful in that role. So I have a 90-day program where I help people really make sure that they get off to a run and start when they um, get in there and make sure that they make just those right contacts and decisions and, and, and start off on the right foot. You know, um, there is actually a statistic out there that says 50% of people hired from the outside of an organization um, of, to be in a high leadership role will fail within 18 months, So it's, uh, which was a shocking number to me, and goes to show why it's great for a leader in a C-suite role or a vice presidential role or anything high to get some coaching, to get mentoring, and make sure that they're learning the culture along with all the other responsibilities that they're gaining. So that's something that I work with. I also have frameworks that I have created and use for all kinds of different scenarios, for team building, for strategy building, for anything, and um, help so there are loose, loose frameworks that help people have take actual specific action steps to get from where they are to where they want to be. And then they, um, I, I tailor the, the framework to the person I'm working with and help them you know, reach their goals and, and, and reach heights that they may not have thought they even could get to. So it's a lot of fun and um, can be very exciting, and we can think of really uh, fresh, interesting things to do. That's how... Uh, how things we've never thought of before are created when, when you're working in partnerships like this. Well, let me ask you uh, another question. Uh, in this recent recession, a lot of good people uh, have been let, let go. Yes. Uh, or, um, and then it's taken them sometimes a year, 18 months, to find another position, given the, particularly in the last three years. Right. Um, what are the, uh, A, have you seen that? And two, what are some of the steps they need to do upon reentering the workforce after such a long hiatus? Yes, I've seen it, and it's been a really difficult thing for people because uh, many people who are in you know different places in their career, but I think it's especially tough when people are in their you know, later part of their career, and they're established, and they have great experience, and then, you know, they find themselves kind of struggling to to get rehired, and that's been sort of the state of business these days, because um, the economy has been slow to return uh, to its former place. Some people, even though the statistics are showing that unemployment is going down, some people have just been out of the search or are falling out of the statistical categories now. So those people, it's been, it's been brutal, to be honest, on some of those people. Um, some are still struggling and still looking, and, um, you know, kind of keeping that confidence up is really important, finding support and support groups. There's a lot of great networking groups out there to help keep working with to make sure that your confidence stays up and you don't start taking that personally because it is just a difficult time. And once you start believing that you're not going to get one, uh, get a job and get your next opportunity, you're going to start believing it and that's going to start to show. So it's really important to stay up and stay um, focused on what your next dream is. The other thing would be to um, to really think about 
what else you can do? What different, you know, is this the time to maybe be entrepreneurial? Is this the time to, um, you know, turn, flip it on its head and think of what what else you might do? So um, sometimes these things can be opportunities as well. If you find yourself going back into business that you haven't been in in a long time, um, hopefully you've been keeping current by you know, reading and doing all the things you need to do um, to stay current in your field. If you haven't, you know, just talk to everyone you can talk to inside and outside your organization. Um, have a lot of lunch. Take people to lunch uh, and um, you know, find out what their needs and concerns are in your new role and just be a sponge. Write down everything you can write down as far as what people's concerns and needs are, and then um, start categorizing those things and think about what you can prioritize to make yourself really successful as you go forward. So those would be my well, tips. Those are, those are great tips. Uh, your website and how people can reach you? OneSmartCareer.com is the business uh, will you site. spell it out? Yes, exactly. I'm sorry. The, the the number one, the number one, smart s m a r t, career, c a r e e r, dot com. And I have a toll free number. I'm happy to give you, which is eight seven 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 four one zero four two seven. And I am available to consult with anyone who has a quick question or wants to talk about coaching or consulting or any old thing they want to chat about. Will you and repeat my name that again number? Is Kelly Walsh. Yes, it's 877-741-0427. I'm writing it down for myself. So I can, <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, I'm, I'm too to old to go back down. into a corporation. I'm sorry? I said, I'd love to chat with you, Don. Call me. <laughs> I, I, I did all will. the talking tonight. Uh, well, that, that's what it is. I, I believe my role is to let the guests talk, not me. Because um, uh, uh, you've got a lot more experience than I do. Uh, <laughs> I really, really appreciate, Kelly, that you came on. And, uh, oh, thanks I for hope, having me. I hope you come on again sometime. would love to. I'm working on a book. I'll come on and talk about that when I'm finished. Oh, I would definitely like to talk about that. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks, Don. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these 
by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.